We're continuing where we left off with uh, the Thought of the Week in Prayer. It is uh, August 30th, 2020. And we're continuing uh, with the Thought of the Week in Prayer. Okay, here we have the Thought of the Week. And from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, this is what we have. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The baptism of the Spirit is a work of God. Notice in the passage, Paul says, or don't you know? They were not aware of this, but this is the work God performed on their behalf. We are not only saved by grace, we are also raised up with Christ. This raising does not have anything to do with our work, our sacrifice, or our commitment. It is by grace. It is important that we know that we are saved by grace, but in the very next phrase, we are reminded of our position in Christ. We are not in Christ randomly, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Your destiny is really the issue in life. Your life's goal cannot be salvation. Salvation is free, a gift given by grace. If your whole goal is to receive the gift, that does not say anything special about why you were chosen at this time. Yes, salvation is great. However, it is an event in time. Your calling is where you will spend the balance of your time here on earth serving the Lord. Once saved, we should not be spending all our time pursuing salvation. We must rest on God's own word that he saved us. To continue to pursue salvation would then be a lack of trust and a waste of time and even a distraction. Just as we should not spend all our time focusing on our physical birth, we must get on with the business of living our lives. We should know that after we go through the door of salvation, there is this glorious spiritual life waiting for us. And that is the thought of the week. And let me just add a quick commentary to that. That like the song says, grace is absolutely amazing. Grace is, is really what God's approach to us is all about. We cannot earn it. We cannot do anything, any work whatsoever to earn grace. Grace is freely given to us. And here, the entire solution for the church and being in Christ, being made brothers, many brothers and, and sons in his in His sight, um, it's, it's, it's all, the path is already paid for us. We don't, we do not have anything to contribute to that. It's just following that path that glorious spiritual life that is awaiting for us, after salvation that is so graceful and so great. Let us take advantage of 
the balance of the time we have here on earth to live in grace and in God and in Christ. For we have been chosen in Him before the beginning of the world, and we are destined for this glory. And that is my commentary. And now for prayer, uh, Dave will offer the prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Do you want to have a special prayer request? Pray for the Church Universal. <clears throat> okay. All right, I just I would like to take you to God's grace for this role. That's all about Most Heavenly Father, we're here, Lord, today, Lord, giving you thanks and praises, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over our church, Father, as we continue to keep growing, Father. We ask you, Lord, to abide us the way of of knowing who you are, Father. Father, we also ask for those who are in Christian work, Father, only through salvation, that they may take that stepping stone and learn the way of salvation and that door to open, Father. We ask you, Lord, as we continue to serve as Father, to give the pastor the words of a curse to put into our souls, into our hearts, so we can get to know you better. Father, we ask you to look over each family as Presenting here, Father, just out of my voice, Father, that you will protect us, Lord, and guide them through this, this distorted night, this life we live in here while we are in this earth. Father, we ask you this in our name of our Lord and Savior, name, Jesus Christ, and for the same blessing we ask you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. We appreciate that. As we think about uh, our text before us, we are headed into John chapter 15, and we'll look at verse 1 today, whether or not we finish it, uh, because we don't, we're not sure, because we're thinking of looking at John 14 in the rearview mirror now. Um, we have reached the end of John 14. We will proceed directly into the next chapter. However, I'd like to look back and review some of the highlights we gleaned from the chapter. Of course... This is not the first time we visited John 14, but this time has been especially rewarding. I would like to share some highlights, and I would love to hear your highlights from this chapter. We, in fact, we did take some time to go over what some of our highlights were in our Q&A this week. So we did hear some good comments, uh, in fact, intriguing comments about uh, some of the highlights and uh, milestones that we were able to, to glean from John chapter 14. It is a very pivotal chapter, I think. Tremendous teaching of Christ there, and we get to see a little bit about how he taught the disciples, and especially when it comes to the preview of the new age to come. So one, as I look at quickly, and I won't spend a lot of time going over John chapter 14, uh, I'll just point out a couple highlights that I saw uh, from the, the context. And uh, so we should know, first of all, John 14 comes from John 13, where Jesus uh, revealed to the disciples about he was having, he was going away. 
Now we know that that's not really the first time he revealed it. But what's unique about this time is it's getting ready to happen like, you know, that night. He, he had been telling them. Uh, in fact, in, in Matthew 16, uh, where Jesus said, from that time on, he began to teach the disciples about these things, about how he must leave and be killed and all that. And he had been teaching that for a while. However, what makes this different, John 14, is what we might call crisis information. Look, they're getting ready to go th right through this as we speak. In fact, uh, one of the things I think about when I, I read passages like this and you know, the disciples needed this information desperately. This is part of the core information. And in fact, throughout, we find things like, I'm going to tell you now, so when it does happen, you will believe. I'm telling you now, so that when you see it happen, you will, you will understand, and so forth. We see things like that because this is right on the heels of that information. And I remember, this is, takes me back quite a ways, many years, we were studying in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and I was uh, remarking about, you know, putting on the full armor of God, and, and we may be able to stand when the battle comes. And, and, and we went through this, the, the pieces of armor that we have, and what defensive and offensive weapons we have. And then we got to prayer and so forth. And I remember thinking how the context were, impressed me so that we were in a, in a mode of expectation of, of battle. So I quickly thought, and I tried to coin some words to, to fit the mood of what John, uh, Ephesians 6 was saying. And these are what we call battlefield words. Like it, they are certainly relevant for us who are here in the church age and for Paul who was a prisoner at the time. He was a prisoner in chains. And these were uh, messages so that the people, the troops that are out there in the world, in the church, would know how to conduct themselves, whether he was with them or not with them. So this is where you have to sit up and pay attention. And also reminds me of another time when we read the book of Revelation. And you see all those things happening at that particular time. And all those symbols and things that are uh, unfolding to, to those. Really, it is literally to those people who are on the ground experiencing those things. That's the wealth of it. Now, yes, we can read about what will happen on the earth. It's happening to those people. And if they take those words and if they use them, they will get through those times with understanding, not fear, not anxiety. So we're talking about battlefield words. I mean, imagine if you're in the battle, in the thick of it, and then you get word from the, you know, uh, from the commander that this is the way you go. So what you already know is that the commander knows what's happening. The commander knows what the best way forward is. And that's 
those are battlefield words that are there for when those people read them you think we they're relevant to us no they are relevant to them just like when we read the epistles that relate to the mystery we realize that those things are relevant to the church and to us directly and he talks about uh, some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the review and I won't spend a whole lot of time but it makes me think these are this is edge of the seat conversation like when Christ was speaking these words and the disciples needed to be eager and listening eyes wide open if they had questions they could throw them out if they didn't understand something it needed to be clear they needed to clarify and it was important this is relevant information for us when I think about all this all of this applies to me obviously as an extension or through those disciples that were there so I, I hopefully you, you understand and see what, why I'm saying uh, it this way and you'll understand you know, how important these words are to our spiritual lives, our well-being in this age. So we'll go through the first few uh, where it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Obviously, Christ was going to die. And uh, they would be left alone. This is their thought. Right? His their leader. This is the one who provided all the wisdom and navigation, told them where they were going. They woke up in the morning. They didn't know where they were going. Jesus had an agenda that he, we're, we're going here, we're going there. There was no time Jesus says, well, I don't know where we're going. What do you guys think? Where should we go? Jesus knew where, where they were going. They were following. They were students, disciples. And they saw all those miracles and signs and wonders that he performed. Uh, and what an amazing lesson for them to follow Christ. Believe in him just like they believe in God. Why? Because new things are coming, new things on the horizon, and they're going to need to believe in Christ so that they can navigate through all the voices, the difficulties, the confusion that would be on the ground. So he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I, what would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. So as we read this, we recognize that this is not the first time Jesus talked to them about these things. But what makes this time so relevant? As I said earlier, <laughs> these things are getting ready to happen within a matter of days. That's why it's relevant. It's important. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, which he will go, that he will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So where Christ is, is the Father's house. There are many rooms, but he's going there to prepare a special place for these disciples. It's not just one of the rooms that are already there. He's going there to prepare a new place that... Uh, it was not in, in existence at the time. To say there are many rooms in the Father's house means there are it's, it's an expanse. There's lots of places. 
But this place is special. And when I think about that special place, you know what I am reminded of is in Ephesians where he says, like, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance and the saints, and his incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes on to tell us what that power is like. And that, but it's, it's what, what is belong. This is what belongs to us. But that power is like when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him in, 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 the, in the heavenly realms of far above all principality and power and might and dominion and all those things. If you want to talk about the place that God prepared for us, that Christ is preparing for us, that's what he's talking about. That's when he, he talks about how we will be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is where we belong. That is the place prepared for us. And just like home feels like home, makes you feel homely, so also this place that's been prepared for us, we will feel at home here. We will feel like we belong there. So the calling that we receive from eternity past. You might think, well, does that have any effect on us at all? I mean, is, does it? The answer is yes. Because once we are baptized by the Spirit, part of the understanding of who we are in Christ, that is the part of our heavenly understanding and that would complement our heavenly dwelling. We will be just as at home in our heavenly dwelling as we are in our bodies on this earth, how we feel about who we are and, and the confidence that we are, we belong here. So that, I mean, I know we can, we can go on, and I'm going to go a lot faster than this, I know. But my thought is that that place that's been prepared for us is a unique place. It's not a place that ever existed prior to this age. It's like Christ says, Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That mystery did not exist in the Old Testament. And that mystery is relative to our age and our destiny. In verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. So that Christ is going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him. Where we are, he is. Right? Where he is, we are going to be. Where is he? He's in heaven. He's literally leaving, and he's going to another place. He's not going to be on the earth. He's going to be in heaven. And what's he doing up there? He's preparing a place for us. And, and so we will come, he will come and take us to be with him where he is. So then he, he continues in verse 4, You know the way to the place where I'm going. How would they know the way? Because Jesus had been telling them. The way. This is not new information. It doesn't smack of new information as we think about it. Uh, he's, he's telling, he says, you know the way. And just like he says when he says in verse 7, if you really knew me, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Right? So he's he's telling them things that he's already told them, but they didn't believe it. 
That's why he urges them in chapter uh, 14, 1, to believe also in me. If I'm telling you these things, they're not divergent from what the Father has already made clear to you, or what you believe from theology in the Old Testament. Believe also in me. I'm standing here telling you the word of God. And you need to put your trust, put your faith in that. So, going forward, you know the way to the place where I'm going, but Thomas asks a question. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas, I've been telling you this. From now on, Jesus began to teach them what was going to happen. This is back in Matthew 16 where we read those words. Yeah. He, Jesus pivoted. Remember, he came as the Messiah to Israel. Uh, obviously, Israel rejected him. And, he, and eventually, Israel crucified their Messiah. He came to his own, John 1 says, but his own did not receive him. Not only did they not receive him, but they rejected him from, the, from that standpoint and crucified their Lord, their Messiah, on the cross. So Christ had been not only presenting himself to Israel, but also pivoting. So now he's going to present himself as uh, the, you know, the foundation of the church. He's going to build his church. So Thomas knew the way, but Thomas didn't believe the way. This information should have been known, but it wasn't believed. Now, this, is, this will help you understand what happens when information is known, but not believed. What, what is believed, when somebody taps you, that's what will come out. Right? Somebody touches you, what, what is believed in your heart, that's what will come out. Things that you have thought about, uh, you know, looked at in Scripture, but not have committed to, because believing it means I trust it. It's part of what my structure is. You may, have you, have, you may have to throw out other things that are false in order to believe something that's true. So believing is not just, okay, I believe it. It takes some thinking about it and some trust and, and commitment to it. So that's exactly what the disciples didn't have. So if you wonder why you heard this, this doctrine before or this teaching, and yet now you, when, when it comes down to it, you don't remember it until somebody says, yeah, well, don't you remember when we went over that? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's because it, it may not have been committed to belief. Belief means I trust it. This is information I believe I've integrated into my thinking. So, so we, we went through the Thomas thing. Thomas did really know, but uh, Jesus needed to remind him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we played around with that verse, verse 6, because really, that is not a salvation passage. Where is salvation in the passage? Everybody there is already saved. And salvation is not the way to heaven, right? Salvation is whoever believes in Christ as he was presented in the world, whether he was presented as to come or he's already come and we ought to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we see salvation, but, but we, this is not about 
salvation. This is about uh, coming to the Father, right? going to the Father. And no one can come to the Father except through Christ. It is, this is not a salvation passage. Now, some of us may love the words that are there and want to apply those words and make applications, but we should know that this verse is not about salvation. Now, there are enough verses about salvation. Why not let this verse stand for the mystery, right? The new teaching that is available to us in this age. Why would we want to take a verse out of the context when God has placed it here for our learning, for our understanding? I think we'd be best to follow what God's uh, thought is here. So <clears throat> then Jesus moves into another subject. He says, if you really knew me, verse 7, you will know my Father as well. So this is, this is a new subject about knowing the Father. From now on, he says, you do know him and you have seen him. So right now, Jesus is pivoting from the rapture, which we talked about earlier. And, and how, do you, how is, does one get to this special place where Christ is preparing, which is unique, how does one get there? Well, you get there through the person of Christ. And how, when we think about through the person of Christ, what does that to mean? And talking about the baptism of the Spirit. Because nobody can be in Christ unless they are baptized or put into Christ. Well, when did that happen? The baptism of the Spirit happens at Pentecost. Or we've rehearsed these things over and over. Hopefully they become second nature to you. And hopefully, like Jesus says in 14.1, you believe also in him. So verse, Philip comes out and make, and has another question. <clears throat> Lord, show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. Well, we have, what Philip is also saying in verse 8 is, we haven't been satisfied with anything you've said about this Father thing up to now. That's what he's saying, really. If you show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. That'll be enough. Well, imagine that. Verse 8, in Philip's words, directly are against what Jesus was telling them in verse 1. You've got to believe in what I'm telling you here. I mean, I, am I just been, you've been following me around for three and a half years and seeing all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, and you've been seeing the Father work in me, answering questions with the wisdom that he has according to the, the plan? And yet, you have to ask about the Father. Show us the Father. Give us a physical demonstration. I mean, it was almost like the Jews asking Christ for a sign. After Christ had done all those miracles about feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6, and, and they all ate and had their fill, and the next day, you know, they came and they wanted more food. They didn't want more, they didn't want to hear spiritual information. They wanted more food. So then they said to Christ, show us a sign. I mean, Moses, he brought us the manna from heaven. What, what sign do you show us? I mean, look, Jesus just brought them from fishes and loaves that somebody had for lunch. He multiplied that and fed over 5,000 people. How in the world can they ask him? To show a sign. 
And they're the ones that came up with it. Oh, Moses gave us bread. And Moses didn't even give him the manna. It was God who gave him the manna. Moses didn't do it. Jesus told them, forget about all that. I'm the bread of life. Me. <laughs> so obviously that didn't go well. But think about the arrogance of that question. Think about the blindness of that question. To ask Jesus, who's standing in front of them, to perform what sign will they show? Will he show them? And in essence, that's what we're seeing in Philip's question here. Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. We'll be satisfied if you just show us the Father. And that's... <laughs> That's a matter of arrogance. And how does Jesus respond in the way he should have responded to that question? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say this? Show us the Father. What are you talking about, Philip? I'm adding some words to Jesus' words, just in case you didn't know. I'm sort of... Adlibby, trying to show the mood of his questioning and his response. And how can you say this? I, how, you, like I said in verse 7, from now on, I've been telling you this all the time, and you keep questioning this from now on for the record, you do know him and you have seen him. So Philip asked the question, Jesus is a bit exasperated here. He's, he says, how can you say this? Don't you? I've been with you this all this time. How can you say this? So verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing the work. How can you ask me who the Father is? He's been doing all the work for all this time. And you're, telling, you're asking me, show you the Father. Show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. Wow. So, verse 11, same thing. Jesus comes back again. Believe me when I say, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Now you're starting to see that this dynamic relationship is taking hold in the conversation. Jesus wanted to shift to it. Anyway, when he said that, you know, to, you know this information. And when Philip asked the question, it's all on then. Now, this is the topic of the conversation. That the Father living in Christ is the one doing the work. That's who the one. That's what's happening. And you don't believe it. So verse 10 and 11 begin with the thought that they do not believe what Jesus had been telling them. Verse 11, believe me when I say, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. He's not just saying that here. He's been saying that. Or at least... Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, I'm going to take you all the way down to the lowest common denominator. And that is, you see me as a man. I've been walking around with you, but yet you see that there's some supernatural power going on. I've been telling you that this is the Father doing the work. You know this is not normal. So if you don't believe anything I'm telling you, one thing you know for sure is that you have seen the evidence of who I am. So if you know that I'm coming from God, and you ought to know 
what I'm telling you comes from God as well. So, you, so at least believe on the... This is, this is the like, well, okay, you don't believe that all the things I'm saying? Well, let's start here. Okay, you do believe in God, right? Right. You do believe that God is supernatural and miraculous and I am the Messiah. He sent me into the world, right? Right. Okay, you've seen all the works, the signs, the wonders, right? Right. He's taken them from like one step on because of their unbelief in this area. Now, this does not say that they didn't believe in Christ and were not saved. They were saved. This information is unique, however. Verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So they will do the works I have been doing. Well, first of all, the works that Christ had, has, was doing was not him doing it. It was allowing the Father to work in him. Christ was in a position of humility. He got out of the way to allow the Father to manifest, the person of the Father to be seen. That's why he says, haven't I been with you this time and you, you, haven't, you don't know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So the Father was the one manifesting. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about the, it was the Father, it was God who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It was the Father you were seeing on display. Jesus even says later, as we will get to, it's not just my words, but it's the Father's words that you hear. It's not my words. It's not my teaching. So if you listen to me, if you believe what I'm telling you, if you keep my commandments, if you if you hear these words and you trust them and you and you follow them and you obey them, it's not me you're obeying, it's the Father you're obeying. Yeah, this could take a long time. We could be a couple weeks here in John chapter 14 review. Let's keep going. So, uh, in verse, uh, the works are allowing the Father. The works are... This is verse 11, are the dynamic relationship that Christ had with the Father. That will be extended not only to Christ, but it will be extended to all those who will believe in Christ through the disciples' message. That's us. We are part of, we are the recipients. We are the extension of the foundation of the disciples. So, we are included in this verse. This is the relationship that we had, or we have in Christ. The Father is this mutual possession where the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And we're going to get to verse 20 where it says, On that day you will realize. And all the things that Jesus was pleading with them to believe, yeah, when we get to Pentecost, when the Spirit of Truth comes then you will realize, you will know then. So that's what happened, ultimately. That's why we stand here today in Word is Truth Christian Church, 2,000 years later, talking about we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Yeah, Our bodies are temples of God, the Holy Spirit. And Father indwells us as well. So we'll get to to more of this as we continue. So verse 
12 says greater things, well, the whole church, the body of Christ, every believer will be part of this dynamic. Every, not some. In Israel, there were certain uh, things we talk about the Spirit had a ministry to those who were in the Old Testament. And that ministry, really, obviously, the common grace they had, which is trying to turn everybody to Christ as he was revealed at that time. But they also, there was other ministries where priests, prophets, kings, those who were special, would receive certain things from the Spirit. Power. They would receive power. What Sometimes it would be power to perform certain tasks, to prophesy, to be, you know, to, to run Israel as the king, to, to lead out. Uh, there were all kinds of things that the Spirit would provide. But here in the church, every single believer is endowed with the, the baptism of the Spirit, which identifies them with the person of Christ. And obviously, all of this is the extension of what Jesus is telling them of his dynamic relationship with the Father. It would be ours. Greater things, not just Christ, but the body of Christ, which makes up many. Certainly, that's a greater thing. And we're, now we're able to do the works of Christ. And the works of Christ, what are, what are the works of Christ? It's the works of the Father, the Father's plan. That's the Father's eternal purpose. And he is accomplishing in this particular age. So then we continue on in verse 14. You may ask me for anything, notice, in my name, and I will do it. This is not a credit card for you to get anything you want. This is all about this dynamic spiritual life that is on the horizon. And this is all related to the eternal purpose of God. When you say in the name of Christ, then that means it is in his person that we are asking. It is, he's the Lord. So whatever we ask in conjunction with the person of Christ, whatever we ask in accordance with the Father's eternal purpose, he will do it. Because why? He, that's what he's doing in the earth. We see what he sees. If he wants to give us information or wisdom or whatever works that are provided through us in the church, it is according to the Father's eternal purpose and will. We, we, that is exactly what we, he will do it. There's no doubt that he will do it. Why? Because this is what the Father is doing. He is trying to fulfill his purpose. So Jesus is definitely in accord with that. If you ask me anything in my, in my name, I will do it. If you just ask for anything, well, we can just start asking for anything we want according to our sin nature. Not in his name, but according to our sin nature. And he won't do it, I will tell you. He won't do it. But if you ask anything in his name, right, then he, he says, I will do it. And verse 15, if you love me, you, keep, you will keep my commands. You will do what I'm telling you. And if you look at these two verses, right, verse 14 and 15, why can't we read those together? Right? Why couldn't we? 
if you ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my, my commands. Look at those things together. Because they're part of what, what that promise yields. Right? He says, I will do it. I will do it. And then, what, what does it mean uh, if you ask for anything in my name? That means if you love me, you will keep my commands. That is reciprocal. And what does he say in verse 16? And here we have how the dynamic spiritual life that Jesus had is extended to, the, to his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here it is. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Forever. That's the Holy Spirit. What a promise. If he's going to be with us forever, he's going to be a part of who we are now. So we talk about those five ministries of the Spirit that are a part of the constitution of the believer in this age. We are baptized by the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and we have gifts that are different, that are given by means of the Holy Spirit in this age. So this is, and what is he called here in verse 17? He's called the Spirit of Truth. Uh, Spirit of Truth is what we need in order to understand the things that God has freely given to us. We can't get this information any other way. It must come by means of the spirit of truth. Any other way, we will not get to this information. Why? Because this information is relative to things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. You can't know this information any other way. You must submit to the teachings of the Spirit of Truth, even if they're not in your theology. Yeah, you might say, well, that's, that's something, oh, in the Old Testament, that's not how they did it. That's not how Israel conducted themselves. Oh, you know what? We're not Israel. And how are we led? We are led by the Spirit of Truth. He will guide us into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will, he, will, he will only speak on what he hears. In other words, what he hears from the Christ. And he will tell us what is yet to come. So we will know our destiny. We will know the history of all things. We'll know the future events that are to befall this earth. We'll be able to integrate what happened in this age with the entire realm of human history and angelic history. So... So it's the spirit of truth, and we, there's so much we could say about that, and we will continue to say about that in the coming discourse. So we will we will move right on. It says he will be, for he will be with you. It says he, uh, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. The Holy Spirit has a role to the disciples to help them understand spiritual information. But he will be, and he will be, in you. That's at Pentecost. That's when that happens. So, I will not leave you as orphans. Verse 18, I will come to you. How will he come to us? He just told us, 
earlier that he's going to go, he's, he's going away and he will uh, prepare this place in the Father's house for us. Then he will come back and take us to be with him where he is. So we will go to where Jesus is going. That's the Father's house. That's what he's talking about in verses 1 through 5 or 6. But then here he shifts to this dynamic spiritual life of who the Father is and what he is doing and the relationship that he has in Jesus. And he begins to explain how that works from Philip's question. So he won't leave us as orphans. He will come to us. Obviously, when he comes to them or us, the disciples first and us by extension, then it will not be necessarily, he's not talking about uh, the rapture, which he talked about earlier. He's now talking about he will come through the ministry of the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. Right? But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And this is all relative to what's going to happen in this age. There is no Christian church if Christ is dead. If Christ is dead and not raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, there is no Christian church. But if he is, because he lives, and he does, so we also live. Because we, we derive our very life from who Christ is. We are not independent of Christ. We are part of who he is. And that's why that verse in Colossians says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3. So he is our life. That's why, because he lives, we could live. But if he's not alive, we are not alive. And he is alive forever. So the Spirit will bring all of this reality to us. And we are living in it right now. This is part of who we are. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. You will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And here, on that day, what day is that? If everybody could have answered or could answer this question, we would all say in unison, Pentecost. This was the day of Pentecost that the church age began. That's when the Holy Spirit came, the spirit of truth, the advocate, the comforter, the paraclete, however you want to use, whatever word you want to use for the spirit. Who is he? What title does he have? The spirit of truth. I love that title because he will guide us into all truth. So we can't even determine what truth is by looking at the Old Testament. Not this truth anyway, because it wasn't revealed to people in the Old Testament. It wasn't there. On that day, you will realize, I am in my Father. The very thing he was trying to tell him. Don't you believe? Believe me when I tell you, I'm in the Father. My Father's in me. Don't you believe this? I am in, on that day, when Pentecost comes, when the Holy Spirit comes and he takes up residence in you, you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. That will happen on the day of Pentecost for those disciples. And that will then become 
what is normal for every church-age believer. Not some, every church-age believer. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. That is that body, that is the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So, whoever has my commands, and more information about that profound statement in verse 20, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. A lot about love here. What do you mean, has my commands and keeps them? Well, are you talking about the Ten Commandments? No, not at all. He's talking about this relationship. If we look at what the context is, is telling us, it's not about the Ten Commandments at all. I know people would like to think that. Well, whenever they see commands, then their mind just automatically reverts to the Mosaic Law. He's not talking about the Mosaic Law. But he is telling them very specific information. Information they need to be on the edge of their seats to pay attention to because of the tumultuous events that are getting ready to befall them. It's going to be a tough time. A roller coaster of emotions that they will go through. So they need this information more than any of us as the foundation of the church. So then where he says he will show themself, himself to them is very explicit. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, the one who loves me, love my father, and I too will love them and show myself, show myself to them. Not to everybody else, but to them. And that's exactly the question Judas asks in verse 22. How, how is it that you, you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world. See, so this, what we are seeing when Christ comes back, when he talks about, I will not leave you or as orphans, I will come to you. This is a reference to when the Holy Spirit comes on that day. They will realize that what Jesus had been telling them is going to be a part of their experience. And they will know it. There is evidence he will show they will know he will show himself to them and we have to look at this we must see this as experience in the christian life this is not well we just believe it by faith and that's how it all works no if jesus said he's going to show himself to them that they would know that familiar spirit well he would not speak on his own he would speak whatever whatever ever christ tells them it would be the familiar sense of who Christ is the one who is just like him but he's somebody else who's that he's the spirit he says but the advocate the Holy Spirit who the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you this is verse 26 of everything I have said to you he will remind you of me the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, he will, he will remind you of everything I said. He will remind you of me. He will take from what is mine, John 16 says, and he will show it to you. And disciples can keep right on going. They can pick right up where they left off at Pentecost with Jesus, and he will continue to teach them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Again, 
it's important that they obey his teaching and more than obey because obey is really a result of love it is not the means to love somebody by obeying them the, the way you obey is is through love first comes love and then obedience follows the father will love them and what will the father do and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's going to be part of our existence. Make our home means permanent residence now. It's not a temporary thing that happens. This is permanent. We were Not only that, Father said, if you love me and you will, you will obey the, the things that I'm telling you, and if you obey those things I'm telling you, these commands, then this experience will be the norm for you. We're going to come, we're going to make our home. And not only that, you're going to know it. This is, this is the security, not only security, but the comfort we have in this age. He continues, and you know I'm not going through the whole detail of it all. I can't because our time is fleeting. But we're going to try to do our best to finish these last verses and the thoughts here. So the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them. So you got the love of the father. You got the love of Christ. And the father loves us just like he loved Christ. John 17 at the end brings that out. The love you have for me is the same love you have for them. You love me just as you love them. And that is part of the heritage of this age that we have. That we now have. Father, the Son, and the Spirit as part of our, the constitution of who we are in Christ. Not only do we share everything he is, but we share the relationships that he has with the Father. So continue, anyone, verse 24, anyone who does not love me, okay, so now we have, the, we have what happens when a person loves him, He's talking about the disciples and what happens when the disciples do not. They will not obey the teaching, right? I'm glad they got it. Because prior to this, it looked like they didn't believe. And they didn't trust. And they didn't hope. And they didn't have that love. But when it comes to this, they, don't, they have it. They have abandoned everything for Christ. They have already demonstrated that they loved him. Their problem here is they didn't believe the teachings that were the current teachings about the church age. They, they, have, they were struggling with those teachings. But did they leave everything? Did they commit to Christ everything? Did they uh, risk life, limb, and danger for Christ? Absolutely, they did. They were all in, as it were. And Peter is a good example. He was like, I'll die for you even if this is what I have to do. And he pulled out his sword and he, he even tried to kill somebody in the name of Christ. Christ said, put away your sword. You don't know what the Father's plan is. You don't know that I'm going to submit to this plan. And I am willingly drinking the cup that the Father has given me. Christ said, for this reason I was born into the world. What should I say now? Save me from this hour? No. This is the very reason I came into the world. 
So this part, this part, if you do not love me, well, you won't obey my teaching. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. I'm here. I'm right now. This is the timing of this. Christ is there telling them these things. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, will. he's not doing it now, but he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That's coming. The Holy Spirit is the familiar voice and presence of Christ. He brings that when he comes to us. When he leads and guides us, it is as if those disciples are following Christ, walking around, don't know where they're going, treading into dangerous territory, wherever he leads them. And then it's like us, following Christ through our lives, doing whatever Christ says, whatever he, wherever he leads us, departing from the societal norms and standards, departing from religious norms and standards that existed prior. We're treading into new territory. And with humility, taking every step as though it were the first, trusting Christ with our lives, with our the energy that we have in this world. So, verse 27, peace, I leave, you, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. No, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So this is part of the Father's plan. Now, it's, when, I say, when he tells them, don't be afraid, wow. Just imagine what's getting ready to happen. In fact, strike the shepherd and the flock will flee. Right? Every one of them runs. In fact, one gospel says one ran so hard and the, they were getting out of there, boy, and somebody grabbed them and they left naked running. They were getting out of there so fast. They were afraid. Let's, let's just put things where they are. Let's, let's lay them out here. The things that were getting ready to happen to Christ rocked their world. But Christ told them he's leaving peace. Obviously, it's not peace with the absence of turmoil or trouble. Because they were getting ready to go through the most troublous time that there was in the history of this world. God was getting ready to judge the sins of the world in his Christ. Just like John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was the time of Christ's passion. This was the time when all of these things would, would happen successively, one right after the other. But when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, they will be able to pick right back up. And he will teach them all things and remind them. What does the Holy Spirit do? Wow, we have the evidence of what the Holy Spirit does according to Jesus. And this is what we should be focused on when we think about God the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't start, the Twilight Zone music shouldn't be playing. We should be thinking, he's the spirit of truth. Not anything goes and the spirit moves in mysterious ways. And our eyes get all big and we start getting emotional. And all. No, this is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit coming. This is what we should be thinking about when we think about God, the Holy Spirit. 
maybe if we stop saying Holy Ghost, that would help. That was an old English term that they used in translating the King James Version. There's no ghost here. This is God the Holy Spirit. Now, who is he? He's the advocate. He's just like me, Jesus was saying. He's the paraclete, the comforter. He's one who, who comes alongside to give us comfort and teaching. That's what he does. Verse 28. You heard me saying I am going away. And I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. We went through this. It's been, this is, Jesus is leaving and greater things than these shall you do. Greater things. Well, we should be anticipating those greater things, not lamenting them. Don't be afraid. Don't know, know that this is going to happen. We got to go through this in order to get to that. So, the Father, it's his plan that we're submitting to. I'm submitting to the Father's plan, Jesus is saying. The Father's greater than I means that it's the Father's plan. He came in humility, even though he was God. He considered equality of God, not something to be seized and held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in, 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 as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient. That's exactly what he's telling us to do here. And Christ had to go to the cross. He went to the cross. And God, for that, God highly exalted him. So you should be glad because through that exaltation, he's going to send the Spirit. You should be glad. Verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe, right? They weren't believing this information. They heard it. They just didn't mix those words with faith. Just like the children of Israel. So they heard those things. The gospel was preached to them, but they did not mix the words with faith. Many of them failed and died in the desert as a result. So this information where he says, I've told you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe. There it is. This is prophecy that Jesus is telling them that will be fulfilled very soon before their eyes. Now, the disciples, as I say, were, they had a problem. They didn't believe this new information. Were they saved? Absolutely. Jesus says that in the previous chapter. When Judas left, that was it, man. He knew he was talking to all believers then. And here it is. He says, I'm going to tell you now before it happens. Now, hopefully, you res that resonates with you through illumination. When you read the word and you hear it and it's taught and, and you understand the depth of it and you were like, oh, it's just like it feels a part of who you are. That everything fits and it all works together. And you that's illumination. And it's been there. And God the Holy Spirit is now giving it to you. He's making you aware of that information. Verse 30, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. We discussed the whole prince of this world, what happens 
Uh, what does it mean he's coming? He's already on the earth. What do we mean he's coming? I mean, he's getting ready to wreak havoc. He's getting ready to unleash everything he can throw at Christ in order for him to fail. However, we know what happens. Christ triumphs over him and all the evil angels, and he ascends to the place where he is seated at the right hand of God. But when he comes, so, but, but he comes, verse 31, so that the world may learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly as the, what the Father has commanded me. He says, come on, let us leave. Really, what he was saying there was, let's prepare to leave. While he was preparing to leave, chapter 15, and chapter 16, and then he prayed, and they left. So 15 and 16 began, and that's exactly where he was. So we're through with John chapter 14 at this point. Now, not through, well, hey, we don't ever have to think about it anymore. Through in the sense that we have laid it out. You have the notes, and you hopefully can use those to continue your study of Jesus' words in John chapter 14. And we will move on to John chapter 15 next week. I know we're not going to finish it this week. But I will read the introduction to John chapter 15. And I, certainly, before I say that, I, I want to say uh, thank everyone. And I'm certainly proud of all of you for just being here. To I couldn't have done John chapter 14 without you. I want to thank everybody for their participation and their questions and thinking through these things with me. I could not have finished or even gotten through the thought of it. Hopefully it is beneficial. It is something that we can use as a, use as a learning tool going forward. But now we're going into John chapter 15. And I'm excited about it. And we will begin this chapter, it looks like, next week. I'll read the short introduction you have in your notes, and we'll continue that next week. As we begin a new chapter, Jesus continues his discourse here in the next chapter. Vital information uh, was shared with the special group of this, this special group of disciples. Jesus called each one of them, and they are all present except Judas, the betrayer. The words given by Jesus were certainly relevant to those disciples and their immediate future. However, we must also pay close attention to them since we are an extension of them as Jesus builds his church. As Jesus has been introducing this new way that would be inaugurated shortly, there are still more details they need to know. This departing information is certainly worthy of our attention. I would imagine the disciples were all leaning forward so as not to miss a single word of instruction, admonition, or comfort. They were about to go on a journey made possible by their Lord, who thoroughly demonstrated that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's John. 16, 16. Oh, actually, that should be Matthew. Sorry for the notes. Looks like it's a 
mistake there. It should be Matthew 16 and 16. I'm correcting my notes as we speak. So, that is our introduction. We are out of time. So we're going to conclude this week and with prayer, and we will continue John 15 next week. Thank you, Father. We are glad that you called us and brought us at this particular time in human history. And while we didn't choose our birth, our sex, we didn't choose where we would be born in the battle, who our parents were, we didn't choose any of that. Father, all we know is we're here, we have believed in your Son, and we have come to know through the Spirit of Truth our calling, our destiny. And Father, we thank you so much for the, the round trip. You called us from eternity past, and we are seeing the reality of your works, of your plans. So we thank you for each person under the sound of my voice who was able to hear and understand these things. We thank you for the love that the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts, that we are able to come to the knowledge and the reality of these things for ourselves. Father, we pray for Word is Truth Christian Church, that each person here uh, may be a part of something very special as we uh, try to communicate these things as we document these things going forward. We want to use our gifts. We want to be able to contribute in a way that is fulfilling and rewarding in this world. We pray that each person will find their life in this, that they will see their destiny as part of uh, a new creation in Christ, that they will not be distracted by the things of this world, religious, previous religious training, whatever the cause or case may be, that we will have that single focus on the Father's plan and our Lord Jesus Christ and be transformed into his image. All this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen.